you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them, please, to the fifth gospel that's in the Bible? You say, well, I only thought there were four, Pastor, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, you are technically correct. But may I suggest to you that there is a fifth gospel. It's found in the Old Testament. And in this book of the Old Testament, you will find a lot of information about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that book is the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. As we continue in our sermon series, Christmas in the Old Testament. And the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14 of the book that bears his name, makes an announcement to the people of his day makes an announcement to us this morning about an event that was going to occur 700 years after he wrote this. Listen to what he has to say. He, ha he says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The book of Isaiah has 66 chapters, and many of those chapters are filled with the good news. The word gospel means good news. Matthew talks about the good news. Mark, Luke, John talk about the good news. And Isaiah talks about the good news. That Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he'll be virgin born. When he comes, he'll be virtuous living. When he comes, he'll be vicarious dying. When he comes, he will be victorious in his resurrection. He's coming. And that's what Isaiah says. The good news is, to those of his day, is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's going to come and join the human race as a man, says Isaiah. He's going to enter the world through a virgin birth. And when he comes, he will bring salvation to the lost. He will bring light to the dark. He will bring life to the dead. He will bring peace to the troubled. He will bring hope to the hopeless. As Isaiah would say in the 61st chapter, verse 1, he said, The Spirit of the Lord shall be upon him, because the Lord will anoint this one who is coming to preach good tidings to the meek. He will send him to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Isaiah predicted the coming of Jesus. He predicted the good news that God was on his way. And folks, we need to hear that today, and they needed to hear that then. 
Because we live in a world of bad news. Look at your newspaper, bad news. Turn on your television, bad news. Listen to your radio, bad news. Read a magazine, bad news. Everything in our world is bad. But the good news is Jesus is coming again. In Isaiah's day, things were bad. But the good news, Isaiah said, is the Jesus who's coming the second time that we're waiting on, he's coming the first time, Isaiah said. Now, what was so bad about Isaiah's day that he says the good news, Jesus is coming, was so important? Well, in Isaiah's day, there was a bad king on the throne. Israel was notorious for having wicked kings. Ahaz was the king, and he was wicked with the capital W. He was crooked as a dog's hind leg. He was corrupt as a mobster. He was as callous as a stone. He was a wicked king. He did not care for the Lord God of heaven or the things of God in this world. So Israel had a bad king. They needed some good news. Israel also had some bad enemies on its borders. And these enemies were threatening the nation of Israel. These enemies were the Assyrians. The Assyrians were some of the most pagan, sadistic, cruel people that have ever lived. And when they entered a land, as you've heard me say before, they would murder the men and rape the women and abduct the children. They would burn everything down and haul the rest of it off. They took no prisoners. They showed no mercy. They gave no quarter. The Assyrian assassins were outside of Israel waiting to come. So the people of Israel needed some good news. They got a bad king. They got bad enemies. And the society they lived in was turning bad as well. In fact, it was becoming rotten. In Isaiah's day, the religion was idolatry. The worship of false gods... And that was faddish and vogue to do in that day. Sexual immorality was rampant. Whatever a man's perverted mind could think, his perverted body was doing sexually. It was a day of judicial injustice. The rich were getting away with everything and the poor were guilty of everything. So Isaiah comes on the scene to a people who have a bad king and bad enemies and are living in a bad society. And he says, listen, I've got some good news for you. God is on the way. He's going to be coming by way of a birth, a virgin birth. And when he comes, he's going to take everything and make it right. Hold on, Israel. Help is on the way. Now, when he wrote that, he didn't realize, nor did the people of that day realize it would be 700 years later when Jesus would come. But it was still good news. As I said earlier, I don't know when Jesus is coming again. Whether he comes to this afternoon and we have our fellowship in heaven, whether he comes five years from now, 50 years from now, I don't know. But it's good news to know that he is coming.
And this mess that we've got one day is going to be righted. I want you to look at verse 14, and I want you to see three things with me quickly this morning about what the prophet has to say about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. Let's begin by what he says about the conception of Mary. Behold, notice that word, behold. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This conception by a virgin, this becoming pregnant by a young girl that's never been with a man, was absolutely earth-shaking, earth-shattering. It was shocking. It was startling. It was surprising. It was wow! Say, Pastor, where do you get all that from? The word behold. Isaiah is very subdued when he says that. I'm not. When the news comes that God has entered the world through a virgin birth, the world is going to be scattered and shattered. The world's going to be shocked. The world's going to be stunned. The world's going to be surprised. The world's going to be startled. The world is going to be wowed. Because that never happened before and it'll never happen again. Now I want you to think about this process of how God is going to unfold it. Because I've told you before, when God makes prophecies, He's not ambiguous. He's not generalized. He doesn't just throw out things that it could apply to anybody. When God makes predictions, he's very direct, he's very specific, he covers all of the bases. In other words, he starts out with the broad end of the funnel and he just keeps narrowing it down. Notice what he says about this conception. He says, first of all, it's going to be a conception that will take place in a young woman. It's not going to be a middle-aged lady. It's not going to be a senior citizen lady. The lady who is going to conceive and bring forth Emmanuel into the world will be a young woman. That word virgin means a woman who has never had relationships with a man, but it also means a young woman who's never had relationships with a man. So whoever this girl is going to be, whoever this lady is going to be, she is going to be a young woman, probably a teenager, that will be the one that God will use to bring his son into the world. Not only will she be a young woman, she will be an unmarried young woman. She will never have been married before this takes place. There's no mention made of her husband, which would have been common in that day to do. So she's going to be a young woman probably a teenager. She will be unmarried at the time that this conception occurs. She will also be a young woman, unmarried, who is a virgin. She will never have had any kind of sexual relationship with a man. No premarital sex. 
She will be a virgin, pure as the driven snow. She will be a young woman who is unmarried. You see how the funnel's funneling? And she will be impregnated by the Spirit of the living God. Her, the father of her baby will be God himself because it will be the Son of God that she will carry. And she will have a son, not a daughter, a son. And that son will be God Almighty. God will become a human being. He will be Emmanuel, God is with us. Now may I suggest to you that God had already chosen Mary as Isaiah is writing this. You say, Pastor, where do you get that from? Well, if I could give you an accurate reading of verse 14, according to people who know far more than I about these things, it would read this. Look at verse 14 now. Behold you, virgin. That the word you, which is not there in the translation, really is implied and should be there. Behold, you, virgin, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The insertion of that word you means that God already had somebody specifically in mind. He already knew who the young woman was going to be. He already knew the unmarried young woman was going to be. He already knew who the virgin unmarried young woman should be. He already knew he was going to impregnate her through the Spirit of God. He already knew that her son, that the baby she carried would be a little boy. His name would be Jesus. He would be Emmanuel. God is with us. God already knew it. He knew it would be Mary. You say, how could he know that? Because he's God. Don't you ever limit God. God knows everything. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He's omniscient. He knows everything. And he's eternal, folks. God doesn't have a past, present, and future. Everything to God is in the moment right now. And God knew Mary 700 years before he would impregnate her with his son Jesus. Isn't it wonderful we serve a God who knows us? And because he brought us into this world, and by the way, he knew you before you ever came into this world. He brought you into this world with a plan and with a purpose that you might glorify him just as he brought Mary into this world with a plan and a purpose to bring forth his son. If you're here today, God knows who you are. He knew who you were before you were born. He knows who you are after you're born. He has a plan. He has a purpose. It's not just to stare and look at me. It's to do something to make a difference in this world and bring Him glory. The conception of Mary, Isaiah knew it because God knew it. But notice something else, the humanity of Jesus. 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear an angel. And what it says, does The virgin shall conceive and bear a lamb, an oxen, a pigeon, an animal. No, that's not what it says either. She shall conceive and bear a human son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus was God Almighty. He was the Son of God, and he was God the Son. But he was also Mary's Son. He's the only 200% person who has ever lived. He was 100% deity. He was God. He was also 100% humanity. He was a man just like you and I. And with that deity and with that humanity wrapped up together in one person called Jesus, he could rightfully redeem us from our sins. If he was just God, it could not happen. If he was just man, it could not happen. The only one who could redeem us from our sins fully, freely, forever was a God-man. And his name would be Jesus. You see, in order to redeem you and I from our sins, this man had to be perfect. He had to be sinless. He had to be spotless. He had to be without any blemish. He had to be perfection with a capital P. Not 99 and 44, 100% pure, 100% pure. He had to be perfect. And the only person who's perfect is God. There is no other person that's perfect. So God had to come and become a human being. So Jesus had to be God or he would not be perfect. But he also had to be man. Because an angel cannot die for a man. Animals can only temporarily atone for the sins of man. That's why animals constantly had to be sacrificed in the Old Testament over and over and over again. Their blood was shed and their lives were taken that we could be temporarily forgiven of our sins until the next season of sacrifice. In order for us to be fully, freely, and forever atoned for, It had to be someone who was like us, a human being. And that human being had to be perfect, therefore they had to be God. Does that make sense to you? If Jesus wasn't God, then he was a sinful man. And a sinful man cannot atone for the sins of another sinful man. If I murdered somebody, and you murdered somebody, and I told the judge, I'm going to take your murder and put it on my account, he would say, well, why can you do that? You're already a murderer yourself. Only an innocent person can take the guilt of another person on themselves. And Jesus was innocent because he was without sin. 
Therefore, on the cross, because he was God Almighty, he being free of sin, innocent of sin, he wasn't sinner by birth, he wasn't a sinner by choice, he could take our sins upon himself rightly and judiciously and pay for those sins. And he could pay for them as one of us. An angel and an animal never could do that. So Jesus was indeed Mary's son, that he could be like us, but he was God's son, that he could be perfect. And that brings us to the third point. The conception of Mary, the humanity of Jesus. He was Mary's son, but never forget he was God's son. And then the salvation for us that comes. Notice it says we shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. And this baby that Mary would conceive, he would grow up in the very usual way. Infant Jesus would become baby Jesus. Baby Jesus would become little boy Jesus. Little boy Jesus would become big boy Jesus. Big boy Jesus would become teenager Jesus. Teenager Jesus would become young man Jesus. Young man Jesus would become middle-aged Jesus. You see, he grew up just like we grow up. He was like us in every way, yet without sin. He walked among us. When Jesus was in this world, he didn't... He wasn't a monk that went into a monastery and closed the door. He wasn't a hermit that climbed up on the top of a mountain and said, you can't get to me. He walked among us. He rubbed elbows with us, you might say. He grew up before our very eyes. He was a friend to the lonely. He was a healer to the sick. He was a helper to the weary. He was a teacher to the illiterate. And then he would go to the cross, and there he would be a conqueror for us all. On the cross, he would conquer death. He would conquer the grave. He would conquer hell itself. You understand? He was the salvation that God promised us. He would die for us. He would come back to life for us. Ladies and gentlemen, he's coming again for us. He was for us. He came to save us. In closing, do you know what the most popular gift card is in 2017 to give somebody for Christmas? What's the most, pos the, the most popular gift? that you can buy somebody if you want to be popular in your gift giving for 2017. Fruitcake. You're giving her a fruitcake? No, I didn't think so. All right, cat's got your tongue, I'll tell you. Are you ready for this? A gift card. Gift cards are popular. And most people give gift cards today instead of gifts. 
Now, gift cards cost somebody something who buy them. And people who buy gift cards normally buy them because they love somebody and they want to give them something for Christmas that they would like. So they give them a gift card. According to the experts, billions upon billions of dollars are spent on these gift cards every year. Now think about it. I love you. I want to give you a gift. So I go out and buy a gift card at my cost, no cost to you, at my cost, and I give it to you. Now you got my gift card. Now, when you receive a gift card from somebody who loves you and pays for it all entirely themselves, you got two things you can do with that gift card. You can spend it, or you can put it up and not spend it. Do you know the sad, tragic thing about gift cards is this? 15% of all gift cards that are bought for people that you love are never used. So in other words, these merchants are making 15% off the top immediately every time you buy a gift card because the person you give the gift card to is not necessarily going to redeem it. It'll get lost, it'll be stolen, it'll be forgotten, it'll be neglected, it'll be discarded, but for whatever reason, that gift card that you give to somebody in love and they receive it will not be redeemed. May I submit to you that God gave us a gift the first Christmas. It wasn't a gift card. It was far better than that. He gave us his son. He gave us his son. He loved us and he gave of himself to us. At no cost to us, he gave us his son. And we have two choices, don't we? We can redeem what he gave us and be redeemed. Or we can sadly and tragically neglect it, lose it, forget about it, discard it, or refuse it. What have you done with God's gift of His Son to us this Christmas? What have you done? I didn't say we, because when I say we, you can hide under the collectiveness of it. I'm speaking to you as if you're the only person here today. It's me and you, that's it. Okay? Just me and you here. I'm preaching to you. One person congregation, you. What have you, what have I done with the Christ of Christmas? A gift that was given to us by a God who loves us, by a God who paid the full and ultimate price to give us this gift. Have we used it, redeemed it? Or have we somehow, some way, neglected it, lost it, forgot it, discarded it, refused it, and we no longer have done anything with it? Don't you think maybe, folks, it's time that we bring this Jesus into our lives? 
I close by telling the story of a third grade class that was putting on a Christmas play. Maybe you've been to elementary schools and seen the little plays they do. Well, this was the third grade class. And and as the play is unfolding before a congregation of parents and grandparents and others, there's a little boy who's Joseph and there's a little girl that's Mary and, and they go to the innkeeper's house or hotel, if you will, and, and they knock on the door. And the little boy who's the innkeeper opens up the door. And the little boy who's Joseph said, we need a room. Can we have a room? And the little boy who's the innkeeper says, I don't have any room for you. Go away, come back later. He closes the door on him. Well, the, Joseph and Mary, the, the little boy and little girl, well, they, they knock on the door again. The little boy opens up the door as the innkeeper. And Joseph says, but you don't understand. We're going to have a baby. We need a room. Have you got one? Now the little boy who's the innkeeper, his mind goes blank, or at least appears to for a second. You ever seen somebody's mind go blank? Their eyes kind of bug out. It's like our singers when they... The words aren't up there. I just want, that's an inside tip, so you'll know. But, but the little boy kind of goes blank. And then he says something. He says, I, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but y'all come on in. I know that I'm not supposed to say this. But y'all come on in. Isn't that what we should say to Jesus this Christmas? Just come on in. We accept you. And we worship you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you're my King. And I bend my knee to you. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I give my life to you. Save me, Lord Jesus. And you are God Almighty. And I worship you and I worship you alone. I will only worship at the feet of Jesus. Come on in. Heads are bowed and eyes are bowed.